I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Stephanie C. She's the co-founder of Rome Free Nation, a Montana-based wildlife advocacy group that focuses on the last continuously wild buffalo, the Yellowstone herds. She's been working in service to the last wild buffalo for over 20 years. Born in the Outer Banks of North Carolina and raised in Virginia, Stephanie learned about the continued war against wild buffalo in 1996 and has been advocating for them ever since. In response to their struggle, she moved to Montana on New Year's Day 2004, where she became the media coordinator for Buffalo Field Campaign, with whom she parted ways after 18 years of service over philosophical differences. Stephanie has nearly 20 years of experience standing with the buffalo, is an avid wildlife photographer, backcountry skier, and horsewoman. She's also a member of Deep Green Resistance. Stephanie trusts that the buffalo have called us not just to help defend them, but to help us save us from ourselves, from the unsustainable and selfish creation of, un- of industrial civilization. So first off, thank you for your decades of great work, and thank you for also your friendship, and thank you for being on the program. Thank you so much. It's so great to talk with you again. Well, it's great to talk with you again, too. So tell me about this new organization, Rome Free Nation. Rome Free Nation was created um, because the buffalo, the last wild buffalo, no longer have anyone who is specifically considering their perspective, considering um, working on their behalf exclusively. So we decided to form our organization and expand a little bit. Um, but our mission is to inspire responsibility and an action for the earth, highlighting the last wild migratory buffalo of Yellowstone country to serve their perspective and work to end the killing so that they may recover and naturally restore themselves on the lands that are their birthright. We'll also be aiding our allies who are working in defense of all others, including prairie dogs, grizzly bears, wolves, land, water, and indigenous justice. So let's, let's first off, who is we? And second, um, yeah, first, can you just very briefly introduce us to who we are? And second, can you uh, then give us a background on the, the Yellowstone buffalo? Okay. Um, we are myself and Jaden Medicine Elk, a Northern Cheyenne tribal member, and also Cindy Rosin and uh, Getty Lee Fulton, all of whom used to work and volunteer at Buffalo Field Campaign and left after um, they fired me because they were starting to support the hunt, the tribal hunt, and we resisted, I resisted. They wanted to get rid of me. I knew what was coming, and they found a way. And since then, we've seen that their allegiance has shifted from being exclusively to protect the last wild buffalo, now more focused on protecting treaty-reserved hunting rights. And now they also support treaty hunting of these last wild buffalo, which is ironic because they're also looking, seeking Endangered Species Act protection from them, too. Really. So for people who might not know, let's let's give a history of actually not just the Yellowstone buffalo, but can you give us a brief history of buffalo um, starting with their original range and numbers and moving us, you know, give us like 10 minutes on a history of buffalo from, I don't know, 10,000 years ago up until um, let's let's let's. Ask another question at say, um, the, at the low point of, of of buffalo population in North America, and then we'll 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 so, we'll move from there. 
Okay. So buffalo, they're North America's largest land mammal, and they once teamed in the upwards of 70 million from Canada to Mexico, from Eastern Oregon to Virginia. They they covered this continent, and they're the ter- caretakers of the grasslands and the prairies, along with the prairie dogs. They have a symbiotic relationship that that helps the grasses grow. They are the the, the caretakers. But when Europeans came to this continent, the buffalo were no longer respected or safe. And the federal government, in order to subjugate indigenous buffalo cultures, they nearly wiped them out. They killed. They knew how important the buffalo were to native people, and they nearly drove them to extinction. And it was in a really short span of time, too, especially once the railroad was put into place. It was, you know, and all really, I mean, they ticked away at them for a number of years, but really within a span of 20 years, they wiped out millions and millions of buffalo. So what happened was there was one small population who sought refuge in the high country of what is now Yellowstone National Park in the Pelican Valley, 23 individuals, and they were discovered by the army. And it's just ironic because these were the guys who were killing them all, and they had apparently realized their mistake. So when they discovered this last herd, they protected them. And Yellowstone was in part created to protect protect these, these buffalo. And these buffalo are members of what today is called the central herd. They are the last continuously wild migratory buffalo that exists in this country. They are very special, and their numbers are very low. Um, there are fewer than in the entire population of Yellowstone, there's fewer than 6,000 buffalo. And the people who manage them and people like livestock, people, cattle ranchers, they scream about how that's just too many. And so, unfortunately, there is um, the livestock industry really hates buffalo. They view them as competitors for the grass. And when they brought cows to this continent, they also brought diseases. And one of the diseases is one called brucellosis. And it got into the Yellowstone buffalo population through human error. So let me back up a little bit. So Yellowstone is made up of the central herd and the northern herd. The central herd are the descendants of the 23 who saved themselves from extinction. The northern herd are made up of other buffalo that people from Texas, from here, I'm on the Flathead Indian Reservation, um, and from here in Montana, sorry, (laughs) uh, they saw what was happening all around them. And so they, they had opportunity to protect a few buffalo to keep them away from these hide hunters and from the federal government. And um, they brought them to Yellowstone. And those buffalo, there was an orphan calf in that herd. And the Park Service had their own livestock in the park at that time. And they decided that it would be a good idea to try to get the little buffalo calf to nurse onto a domestic cow. And then that's how brucellosis entered into the population. Um, Brucellosis is a non-fatal disease. It's very, very rare that humans get it. Um, it's also called Bangs, Bangs disease in humans. And there has never been a documented case of a wild buffalo transmitting brucellosis back to livestock. 
However, the livestock industry claims that that threat is so very real that they do not want wild buffalo to migrate out of Yellowstone National Park. And so they've set up this plan years ago in the late 90s. The state of Montana livestock interests sued Yellowstone National Park for allowing wild buffalo to migrate into Montana. And through the court process, a judge ordered them to come up for Yellowstone and the cattle industry to come up with a plan to work it out. And, well, they came up with a plan. It's called the Interagency Bison Management Plan. And um, it's two, it's got two purposes. One is to prevent brucellosis transmissions from, from wild bison to livestock. And the other is to maintain a free-roaming herd, neither of which has happened. And this plan was signed in the year 2000 under the Clinton administration. Um, and to date, elk also carry brucellosis. And they have been implicated more than 20 times in transmitting brucellosis to livestock in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. Wild bison have never transmitted brucellosis to livestock. Um, but they're punished because in this plan they're prevented from, from leaving the park for the most part. They've gained some year-round habitat, however, <laughs> but within the plan, some of the management techniques that they use are uh, hazing, which is being chased by snowmobiles, horse people on horseback, ATVs. doesn't happen a whole lot these days, and we can talk about that a little later. And they also, uh, Yellowstone has a capture facility, a big buffalo trap. It's huge inside the north boundary of Yellowstone National Park in the Gardner Basin. And the park service will capture, run the buffalo through squeeze chutes, run, separate families, buffalo get injured, and then they get shipped to slaughter, to slaughter facilities. And there's also a state hunt. And then there are currently seven tribes who are hunting under treaty rights. And these hunts are, I mean, they're really an extension of slaughter. I mean, you would literally, especially in the Gardner Basin, you would literally see hunters line up at the park boundary waiting for family groups of buffalo to cross the line, the, the park boundary, and they'll just gun an entire family group down in the space of minutes. And it's like at half the time, they're not really sure what they're aiming at. The buffalo are usually running and the family groups are, are matriarch. Their, their society is matriarchal. And so you get a lot of adult females who are heavy with calf because this hunting season doesn't end until just a few weeks before calving season begins. Lots of pregnant females get killed and you'll see their, the little baby buffalo in, in their gut piles, buffalo that would have been born in like three weeks from then. Um, so there's a lot of bad stuff that's happening. The plan, like I said, it was signed in 2000. It was supposed to be a 15-year plan. It is expired, but they continue to operate under it and because they can't agree on a new plan. And this, the plan is also, it's, uh, it used to be state and federal but now it's state, federal, and tribal. Um, there's three tribal entities that are exclusively part of the interagency bison management plan, which is really, um, it's great that they are, they have a voice at the table 
but the the interagency bison management plan decisions are made on by consensus. So with the slaughter continuing, with these crazy hunts continuing, everyone is agreeing to this, um, which is really sad to me. Um, what else do you want me to talk about? Well, I want to. I want to. I, I want to back up a minute. And you talked about them, you know, having symbiotic relationships with. I want to. I want to go back just a moment and help people fall in love a little bit more with buffalo. And can you talk about uh, some of the ways that buffalo improve habitat for, like, one of them that I that I think you were the one who taught me about many years ago was that buffalo will create these wallows that end up being uh, habitat for amphibians and places for uh, water birds to, to, to land on their migration. Is that true? And Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so can you talk about, and then, yeah, just, just, just for, for like five minutes, just talk about, uh, <laughs> how, how wonderful Buffalo are for, for the larger ecotypes. Well, I mean, for starters, the earth chose them to be the native bovine in this country. Um, the way that they graze is very healthy for grasses. They don't rip grasses out of the ground. They kind of just clip it as they go along. Um, and those shorter grasses are um, very, that's prairie dogs like to live there because they can see things around them a lot better where the buffalo live. Um, buffalo also, because they're so woolly, as they're walking around, they pick up seeds and they can help distribute them with their fur and they also help distribute seeds with their poops. <laughs> Um, and fertilize, fertilize the, the grasses and the wallows, like you said, provide, I mean, the continent was covered with these wallows that would provide temporary habitat during the rainy season, um, for amphibians and birds and, and lots of different wildlife. Um, what else? Their hooves, the way that their hooves are shaped, they help till gently till the soil and, um, they just make everything better. I mean, they make the earth grow. She chose them to do this job, and they do it perfectly well. Um, and two two more things. One of them is, I remember in our last interview, we went through the math, and if there are 70 million buffalo, <laughs> I, I want to go through this again, because it just, I remember it blew me away. Se if there are 70 million buffalo, and how, how much does the average buffalo weigh? Oh, um, adult males weigh 2,000 pounds. Okay, so the female weighs fifteen hundred or a thousand. Uh, no, they they can weigh up to about eighteen hundred pounds. They're big too. <laughs> okay, so seventy million buffalo, two thousand pounds, and how long does the average buffalo live? Depends on if you leave Yellowstone or not. You know, in the wild, they tend to live uh, seriously. If they don't leave the park, they can tend to live about fifteen years. Okay, so let's on make, average. let's make the math easy and say they live ten years. So you get 70 million buffalo means 7 million buffalo are dying every year. And if each one weighs 2,000 pounds, that's 7 million times 2 is 14 million times 1,000. Is that 14 billion? That can't be right. But in any case, it's, a, it's more than a billion pounds of meat per year. I mean, that's a oh, lot. Yeah. that's a lot of food for... Grizzly bears, wolves, 
I realize it's spread over many states, but this is a lot of food for a lot of different animals and a lot for, for insects, yeah. for vultures, for birds, for all sorts of, this is like the salmon, you know, just this huge uh, batch of meat. And this is every year. If you, then this is just the ones who die of old age or die of, you know, they, they break their leg or something. That's a, right. that's a lot of and food it, every year. It is. And as a great plain species, Grizzly bears are also a great plain species. They've been pushed into the, the mountains and they co-evolved with buffalo and rely heavily on buffalo meat every winter, especially in Yellowstone. And it's becoming more and more this way. And I'm thank you and Louisa Wilcox talked about this, but, um, because of climate change, um, grizzly, some of the, the food sources that grizzly bears depend on are diminishing severely. Yellowstone cutthroat trout. Uh, the, what is it? The cut, cutworm? What is the moth? I can't think of it right now. And uh, uh, white bark pine nuts are rapidly disappearing. And so they're turning more and more to meat for from buffalo and winter-killed elk also. But in the spring, winter-killed buffalo is what grizzly bears really are looking for. And um, so, yeah, they. I mean, they definitely, I mean... They really benefit so many species, and it's just, it's such a shame that this country just cannot seem to see that. And same thing with the prairie dogs. It's like, if you want a healthy prairie, and the prairie prairie ecosystems are one of the most endangered on the planet, and we know who can help fix the buffalo and the prairie dogs, but here we have these wars being waged against both of them. They, neither of them... They have been reduced to occupying less than 1% of their original range. 1% less than. So before we – thank you for all that. And before we go on, there's one more thing I want to mention. I'm going to violate one of the rules of interviews. You're not supposed to ask questions that – I'm not supposed to ask questions that I'm not sure you know the answer to. But I just read about this within the last few days. I wanted to mention it. There's some guy up in Canada – who does, who studies, I'm not making this up, the ecology of buffalo snot. Have you heard about this? Really? No. Okay, so it's extraordinary that, you know, as buffalo go along, you know, they keep their heads toward the ground a lot, and they snuffle, evidently. And and evidently, there are entire ecotypes, there were so many of them, that there are entire ecotypes based on uh, the the snot from buffalo. Um, That's th- fascinating. That they would do, like there are entire insect communities, and then they build up from the insect communities to the to the uh, uh, birds who eat the insects. It was so the guy has done um, both uh, buffalo poop and buffalo snot and talked about their uh the important roles that those play that those that the buffalo played in that way for for them um that is fascinating can you send that along info along when when you have a chance um, i'd like to read up on that sure and i will mention his name because i just i just looked it up wes olson is the guy's name He's from Canada. Wes Olson. Yeah. Okay. I just heard about him a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, 
So I, I thought I'd heard about him from you, but maybe from somebody else. Anyway. Yeah, um, no, I did not know about that. <laughs> anyway, so the point is that that's a way that they do it. You know, on the biggest scale, they do it with a billion pounds of meat a year or 10 billion pounds or however many billion pounds of meat per year. And they make the wallows and they, you know, distribute the seeds. They're doing all this stuff. Anyway, so now let's yep. move back to the to the president. There's another thing I want to say is that Yellowstone is cold and oh yeah i mean that's not that's not the best buffalo habitat in the world right right it's not i, I mean, mean it's great summer range it's absolutely perfectly wonderful summer range but they want to leave when the snow gets really deep i mean they are built they're ice age mammals they are built for the cold they can handle any cold i mean you know think about the dakotas the, they don't get quite as much snow, but that fierce wind, it's cold. And Buffalo, they face right into that kind of wind. But in Yellowstone, it's such a high elevation, and it's it's been changing the past few years, I will say this. But usually, the snow gets, you know, you can get six, seven feet of snow in the, and more than that in the interior of the park. And the Buffalo, they have to, they use their huge heads supported by that big hump to crater with their face, crater to push snow away to get to the grass below. And when it starts to get six, seven feet deep, that gets really hard, especially for the little ones too, you know? And so they want to leave. They want to go to lower elevation habitat. Well, that lower elevation, a lower elevation habitat happens to be in Montana at the moment. And that's where they end up facing a war, war zone. So if... Let's pretend that there wasn't a war being waged against Buffalo. This particular group, or these particular groups, how far do you think they how how far do you think they would want to go every winter to to be out of that deep snow? Would they want to go five miles? Would they want to go fifty miles? Would they want to go five hundred miles? How how far would they go? Do you see what I'm asking? They would go. Yeah, I do. And, you know, we don't really know because we've never you would have to seek indigenous wisdom here because there are no white people that ever really got to experience what a buffalo would do because they were so busy killing them all the time. But we have seen um, buffalo in the middle of the night on very bad winter go 20 miles to lower elevation habitat in, in the middle of the night. And we just had a bull and the come from the Gardner Basin. It wasn't winter, but he walked out um, of Yellowstone at the north boundary, got through this big fence that they have up to try to keep him from going further. He made it around. He made it almost 30 miles before he was discovered by the Montana Department of Livestock and shot. Now, instead, we should have been celebrating that bull and saying, hey, this is this is restoration right here. This is something to celebrate and protect. But they'll, you know, I think the family groups probably wouldn't travel quite as far as quickly just because of all the little ones. But it would just, it would depend on what they found, well, you know. The, they wouldn't travel as quickly, but my understanding is that buffalo are migratory species. I mean, oh, am, yeah. am I wrong or wouldn't? No, no, you're not. So, so I mean, it's it's absurd to think that you can have them. I mean, it's like half as absurd to think you can have them in one place as it would be to think you can have salmon in one place. 
Um, right. It's, it's like thinking you can have a migratory songbird. I mean, I, I would, I would think that they would need that that if they were allowed to go where they want, um, that they would be traveling hundreds of miles over the. And they would eventually. I think one of the things, because we we gained year round habitat in the Hebgen Basin on the west side of the park, Horse Butte and surrounding lands there. But still, even though the family groups, they come, they're, you know, devoted to Horse Butte and those lands as their calving grounds. But every year after the calves are just about, you know, old enough to, to, to take a long walk, they go back into the park. And I don't know why, but I believe that it's because their rut grounds are still inside the park. The Central Herds rut grounds are around the Hayden Valley. The Northern Herds rut grounds are around the Lamar Valley. And I think that they would need to start to expand or create new rutting grounds as they go along, if they were allowed to migrate or when they're allowed to migrate further. Um, but I think until then, they're going to be um, kind of devoted to going back into the park for the for the rut season. So what do you, I have heard even some advocates for Buffalo say that they think that the Yellowstone Park is, quote, overpopulated with Buffalo, end quote. It's, it's ridiculous. And you can talk to any of the park biologists that they have never reached carrying capacity. They create and manage their own habitat. They don't even use some of the suitable available habitat because they don't need to. I mean, they have never reached carrying capacity, not even close. And it seems to me... It's not overpopulated. It's it, just that declining baselines that you always talk about. Well, it seems to me also that if you have a species that was 70 million and there are um, 6,000 who are, well okay before we go there let's talk about what is the importance of continuously wild and also uh pure bison what 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 is the importance of that because you know i can go to the grocery store and buy buffalo steak and there are buffalo ranches at various places so can so What's the big deal with with the ones still being continuously wild? Why do we care? Well, because and you know I agree with you. Don't get mad. Don't because get mad at me for this. <laughs> I'm not. No, but it's just why do we care? I mean, I, I that's hard for me to wrap my brain around because it just obviously we have to care. But you you've got so after that massive genocide of the buffalo and attempted genocide of native people. Um, you had some other folks that saved a buffalo here or there and started ranching them, reducing them to livestock, game farming them. And now in this country, there are over 500,000 of so-called buffalo. But that is a, it's a false positive because they're all managed like livestock. Most of them live behind fences even some of the public herds, most of the public herds, and the vast majority of them are contaminated with cattle genes. And 
so you've you, you've lost that. I mean, I, it's hard for me to to try to talk about something that just is so obvious to me. I don't know. Um, well, there's there's something. but the Yellowstone the Yellowstone population is so is unique because of all of that. They are the only ones who do not contain cattle genes. They're the only ones who've existed on the landscape since prehistoric times. All the other herds, all the other herds were put there by humans, transported, put there by humans. And most of the, the herds in this country, except for uh, the Henry's Mountain herd who came from Yellowstone and possibly Wind Cave herd, uh, and then, of course, the buffalo who have suffered through quarantine and are um, on tribal lands, all the rest of them contain cattle genes. The buffalo from Yellowstone are unique in that they do not. And the herds that are not in Yellowstone that do not came from Yellowstone. But I can't justify something that is so obvious. I mean, I don't know what, how to, I don't know how to. Well, there's, Put there's, that into words, why she would care. There's there's something that I remember reading when I was doing my anti-zoo book, um, Thought to Exist in the mm. Wild, back in I 2006. Thank you. Back in 2006 or so. There was, there was When I was doing the research for that, there was something I came across that, that really hit me, which was that it only takes like one or two generations in captivity to start changing the physical characteristics of the species being held in captivity and making them right. less uh less uh capable of adapting to the necessities of the wild and right you would think then that if they've been uh uh ranched for several generations that's going to be selecting for Docility, non-migration, you know, yes. whatever other traits that you would prefer to have if you're ranching rather than if you are, rather than if you are purely interested in the continuation of the wild species. Absolutely. Um, so where, where do things stand? You said there's about 6,000 in Yellowstone, if I recall. And how many how many are killed every year by either uh, sent off to slaughter or in the various hunts, or or simply, well, usually, or, or simply killed by uh, Montana Department of Livestock. Usually, what will happen is, um, and it's coming up at the end of November. The Interagency Bison Management Plan will hold a meeting to discuss their winter operations plan. And during that meeting, they will determine a quota for how many buffalo they want to remove, kill, either through hunting, capture for slaughter, or capture for quarantine. In the past few years, that number that they had decided on has been around 900 or so. Um, but in the past couple of years, as I was alluding to earlier, winters in Yellowstone are getting milder and milder, and the buffalo aren't feeling quite the drive to have to leave the park. They're still, you know, it's 
not so difficult because the snow isn't that deep. So in the past couple of years, migration has been very late. And so the park really didn't, I think they captured like 50 this past winter, 50. I have, I have it. It's not on top of my head. And hunters didn't really get too many either because there, there wasn't a big migration. And that was in the past couple of years. But typically you'll hear these agencies, uh, all these governments um, talk about wanting to kill 900 and they will also take opportunity if they there's a really big migration, they'll kill even more than that. So the, the, the reason that I was hammering all these numbers is that it just seems to me that if you have essentially 6,000 uh, continuously wild of a certain species, that it would be, we can put in whatever negative word we want here, outrageous, nature-hating, you know, you would use whatever you want. It would be terrible. It would be an atrocity. That's the word I want. It would be an atrocity to really kill any of them until their numbers have returned to a, uh, you know, something at least remotely approximating their their historical numbers. It it just seems absolutely. It seems crazy to me to be, uh, to be killing nine hundred out of a population of six thousand. It seems to me also that with any sort of endangered species like this, what you would want is for this population to become as large as, you, as it can be and then to start to expand on its own. Isn't that the whole point exactly. of the Endangered Species Act? Right. And that, that is something that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife is doing a review and they're accepting public comments right now um, because they do feel that there's substantial evidence that the the buffalo warrant um, either threatened or endangered status. And if you go to our website, roamfreenation.org, uh, the, right on the homepage there, there's a take action, and uh, you can you can submit your comments. And it's the longest comment period I've ever heard of. The comment period doesn't close until June 24th, 2023. So it's it's a long comment period. But anyway, yeah, you that's exactly what you would want. Um, and that's what we're pushing for, you know, and it's like the thing with this hunt. It's and, and you know, and, and it's really frustrating because you have these tribes who are hunting under treaty right, who are crying for more buffalo on a larger landscape. Yet they their very own actions are the thing that's preventing buffalo from getting past. Much further past Yellowstone National Park's boundary, I mean. You can't line up at the park boundary, gun down every buffalo you see, and say, hey, yeah, we want restoration. We want more buffalo on a larger landscape. It's like, well, then you're going to need to stand aside and and have some patience. You know, it's like the buffalo need you now. And for a lot of plains cultures, buffalo cultures, there was an agreement made with the buffalo. The buffalo would take care of the people when the people were in need, but then when it, the buffalo were in need, the people needed to take care of them and that's where we are now but the people aren't listening it's like rosalie little thunder said you know the buffalo know their obligation they know their purpose humans have forgotten theirs so uh, i i was going to save this till the end of the interview but i i want to bring it up now because i think it's really important 
You said, Stephanie trusts that the Buffalo have called us not just to help defend them, but to help us save us from ourselves, from the unsustainable and selfish creation of industrial civilization. And on one level, I have to tell you, I'm not really excited about learning how non-humans can help us at this point because right. because we actually need to help them. And I'm I'm tired of everything coming back to us. But on the other hand, right. I know I you, you. you and I know how much you love wild nature. And I know that you don't have the sort of standard attitude about this. So can you can you say what you mean by that? Well, I mean, if you spend time with Buffalo and you see the way that they live, the way that they live with each other, the way that they live upon the earth, they 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 love each other. They take care of each other. They take care of the earth. They provide, they benefit. They are a a boon to uh, for existence it is a good thing that buffalo exists humans not so much you i mean and i don't need to give you examples why i think anyone listening understands what i'm talking about so if we could learn to be more like buffalo to take care of the earth to take care of each other things would be a whole lot better i mean so, okay, thank you for that. And I want to go, I'm going to jump subject again, if you don't mind. But okay. th this is something I've never understood. <clears throat> is that, is that... <laughs> Sorry about that. I thought you had big dogs. I... <sighs> I... They're all barking because there's bears on the porch. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway... Um, oh, so you said early on that the elk carry brucellosis, and mm -hmm. one of the reasons that the Mar Montana Department of Livestock, you didn't say this, but, but you've said this to me before, one of the reasons that the Montana Department of Livestock can't freak out about elk with brucellosis the way they do with buffalo with brucellosis is because the hunting lobby is so strong. Correct. Is that, is that that's correct so far? Okay. So yeah. why don't <clears throat> why don't hunters argue that we want buffalo to run over the whole state like they like elk do? So I mean because I'm sure if there were if there were buffalo all over the state, you know, if there were buffalo like there are elk, people wouldn't worry so much about whether some hunters kill some. So why right, exactly. why don't hunters take the perspective of Hey, we want these buffalo populations to explode because I actually, honestly, between um, between me and you on the radio, I actually don't <laughs> don't care whether the buffalo expand, whether somebody wants the buffalo to expand for their own sake, for the sake of the prairies, or so they can shoot them thirty years from now. I actually don't care as long as there's more buffalo, and then we'll right. we'll fight about this in thirty years once there's buffalo all over the state. That's always been my attitude. So I don't understand why yeah. hunters don't take that attitude. Well, you know, in Montana, there were several surveys done by a couple of other groups, and it's over 75% of Montanans want wild migratory buffalo. It's just that the livestock industry has such a stronghold in the legislature. That, I mean, they have such a stronghold in this state that our voices aren't heard. You know, I mean, there are tons of people who would rather see more wild buffalo 
roaming freely throughout Montana than than not. Um, I mean, it's the support is there. It's just that the political agenda services the cattle industry. And why does the why does the cattle industry hate buffalo more than elk? Because the way because the grass, it's all about the grass and who gets. To oh, eat it. so elk don't eat grass. Well, they eat grass. They just they're not as big as buffalo. They don't eat as much as buffalo. I mean, they're huge animals, but the cattle industry really just views buffalo as direct competitors um, for livestock. So, livestock. so you said a moment ago that seventy five percent of people in Montana want for there to be wild migratory, essentially free roaming buffaloes. Is what I understood. And you've told me some stories before. And can you tell me some stories again about? Some of the people who live just outside the park, uh, their response when they have seen a family of buffalo walking across, you know, their backyard or whatever. Oh, they're joyful. I mean, out on Horse Butte, there's a small subdivision, um, Yellowstone Village, or it's also called Hebgen Lake States, but either way, Yellowstone Village is commonly referred to. And the people there love the buffalo so much so that once the buffalo gained year-round habitat in 2015 and were allowed to be on horse butte and the hazing was essentially over um they put up a sign to their neighborhood all their street signs have little baby buffalo cutouts on them almost every house in the not every house but lots of houses in the neighborhood have buffalo safe zone signs up which now you don't really need because the buffalo are allowed to be there, and it's really cool. But the people get really excited. They love to see them. They'll you'll you'll go through the village when the buffalo are there, and there'll be hundreds sometimes in the village um, during calving season. And people are sitting on their porch. They're looking out their windows. They're you know, and they've got smiles on their faces. And it's the perfect living classroom of coexistence with wild buffalo. Is I mean. It's you'll also see kids outside playing when there's buffalo all around. You'll see people walking their dogs. I mean, people they all get along. It's possible to coexist with wild buffalo. And you know, you get the haters who will tell you how dangerous they are and this and that and this. And like they're if you have any kind of common sense, it is so easy to get along with a buffalo. I mean, they're very clear in letting you know how they feel about a thing. And, but anyway, yeah, so Yellowstone Village is a place where you, people just get overjoyed. They get so excited. I have this one friend in particular who lives out there, Pat Kennedy, and she posts all the time. Every time they show up, she's posting pictures and talking about how excited she is. And she gets really sad when, when they do migrate back into the park in the summertime. But, um, it's, it's just so cool to see just people in the subdivision so happy that hundreds of buffalo are in their neighborhood. So we have about five or five or ten minutes left, and can you talk about what you want to do? So Rome Free Rome Free Nation is is new. Can you talk about yeah. uh, what are your plans for the organization? What do you hope to see happen over the next six months to a year with Rome Free Nation, not with the buffalo, but with the buffalo too, if you want. Um, and, and how can some, how can people support both Buffalo and Rome Free Nation? Well, we are brand new. I mean, we just launched 
this organization uh, the last day of September, and we're very small. We our goal is to get back in the field with the buffalo, and we're going to tell the truth. The past few years that I was at BFC, I was censored more and more and more and more. We all were, um, as far as showing pictures of what was really taking place, talking about what was really taking place. So we're that's not going to be the case with us. We're going to show people exactly what is going on with these buffalo. And, um, you know, we also, like I said, we, we're not going to be just singly focused on the buffalo, but we want to aid our allies like Prairie Protection Colorado and other organizations um, who are working to defend grizzly bears, you know, like Grizzly Times, who are working to defend wolves. We want to we wanna kind of just help spread the word about those kinds of things. But, yes, ultimately we want to be back in the field with the buffalo, running our own patrols. And uh, I think it's going to take some time, unfortunately. Like I said, we're very small. We just started. Uh, we do plan to be out in the field this coming winter. Um, not probably for a long duration, but when things are really going down. And um, and I, honestly, housing is crazy. It is so hard to find housing in Montana right now. It's it's really scary. I mean, literally, I was I was living in a tent in a garage for about six months last summer, and um, by the skin of our teeth, we found a house before we almost became homeless. And it's really scary. So housing is kind of hard, but we were talking about, you know, we could set up some teepees and and do it that way um, if we can find the land to put them on. But anyway, so ultimately the goal is to be back in the field with the buffalo, running our own patrols, letting people know exactly what is going on and, um, you know, aiding our allies as we can. Well, I think one of and the people can. Talk oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say people can can find us and support us at uh, RomeFreeNation.org. We also have a Facebook page. Um, if you want to look that up and like us and follow us and participate in discussions and take action and um, yeah. Well, I think one what, what I was going to say is I think one of the things that's really important is for organizations to for there to exist organizations which have over the last many decades there have been fewer and fewer organizations i believe who honestly put the earth first and right there are fewer and fewer environmental organizations whose whose primary focus is actually wild nature. And right. uh, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this program is I really want to support, um, I really want to support organizations that, uh, that I love old school environmentalists. I guess that's what I want to say is that, you know, just right. it is such a joy to talk to somebody and you don't have to worry about divided loyalty, that their loyalty is to the natural world always and right. to the wild ones. And I just I, I just yes. really want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And, and again, the buffalo will always come first with us. I mean, that we are buffalo-centric. <laughs> Was there anything wild else you, nature-centric. Anything else you want to say about your organization or about the buffalo before we go? Um, 
you know, uh, I would love for folks to visit our website, kind of check it out. And um, we'll be starting a listserv. I'm actually uh, have a phone call with somebody tomorrow. We'll be starting a listserv. But if people want to get on that, you can email Rome Free Nation um, and I'll just I'll add you to it. And our email address is RomeFreeNation at gmail.com um, for now. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, we're getting close to coming up to another winter and hunting season is going to start. The capture facility is going to probably operate. If I mean, it depends. All depends on migration. All depends on the buffalo. Um, so and there's going to be opportunities to for, for some pretty intense and important public comment. Um, so just stay with us and keep keep up to date and and yeah we're we're going we'll do everything we can to help these buffalo to and hopefully gain them endangered species act protection and that that will really change a lot of things that and and, and without that i think we're just going to be in the same battle for forever well thank you so much for your decades of work in defense of the wild and uh, thank you for being on the program and I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Stephanie C. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network.